Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. My name is Sigita Struberga. I'm Secretary General of Latvian Transatlantic Organization and Head of the Board of the organization, which is called Women for Security. Please follow the podcast. It's going to be interesting. Hello, everyone. My name is Matej Kandrik and I'm Director of Adab Institute. We are an independent think tank doing security and defense policy from Bratislava, Slovakia. You should definitely listen to this uh, Visegrad Insight podcast. It's the 12th of June. Welcome to the Visegrad Insight podcast. I'm Miles Maftian. I'm here with Adam Yasid, the Managing Editor. How are you, Adam? I'm good. And you? Good, good. There's a, certainly a lot going on. I think we're going to jump uh, a lot into the weekly outlook. But first, the main sort of story that we're looking at is the long-expected Ukrainian counteroffensive has essentially begun. Ukrainian forces claim to have breached Russian lines in three key villages in the southeast, with President Zelensky basically confirming it was part of this long-expected counteroffensive and saying that Russia needs to realize that, quote, it doesn't have much time left. So we've covered the explosion of, of the Kakova Dam on the Dnipro River and the destruction of the dam, I mean, we saw caused this massive environmental and human disaster on both the Russian and U- Ukrainian controlled territory. It's strange to see, obviously, because it's another line of offensive in this war where this devastation is essentially a st- extending beyond the immediate human suffering but also inflicting the deep wounds in the natural environment. And this is something that we we haven't really talked so much about. I mean, we've seen the destruction in the infosphere and with human life itself, but uh, to kind of see the type of ecological warfare uh, that's being waged right now is, it's really something. I mean, whole forests and critical grassland habitats have been decimated, including some of the largest remaining tract of the Eurasian steppe. So the, the pollution of Ukraine soil, air, water by different military paraphernalia and toxic substances, it's just adding a whole other complexity uh, onto the issue. I read this not too long ago that Russia, Russian forces basically occupy eight natural reserves, 13 national parks and two biosphere reserves. And not to mention, you know, 40% of Ukraine is basically littered with minefields and unexploded ordinances. So this extensive ecological damage, that's one thing, but it also kind of shows that the healing that is going to be needing to take place is going to take decades, basically, uh, from this war. But in the background of all of this, we have the actual counteroffensive. We've been waiting for a while for this. What are your thoughts on, on, on where we are right now with this? And we have some some interviews that we have with some of our experts, but just from your perspective, what are you what are you seeing right now? Well, obviously, our information on what's really happening is limited because, for obvious reasons, Ukraine is not going to tell us everything, and the Russians are obviously not going to tell us uh, the truth. So, so there's uh, uh, they've been good in their political communication of all of this, obviously, cool. Ukraine. Yes, the political communication is okay, but you know the truth is is still hidden in the fog of war here. Yes. Um, but what what we know for sure is that that you know Ukraine started and this counteroffensive, and in a sense, the fact that Russians blew up uh, the dam on on um, in, in Kahovka that that sort of confirms it. 
Uh, yeah. I, I see it as a, as a defensive measure, hoping to uh, stimmy the uh, the counteroffensive. Right. And as we have learned from history, for Russia, there isn't such a thing as a human cost. Mm-hmm. So, so for them, you know, scorched ground uh, um, um, approach to, to warfare is, is well documented. And it is, it is, it is really um, shocking to see this scale of, of recklessness right. and, and, and lack of concern for, for, for humanity and, and wildlife. It's, it's just completely unnecessary, yeah. I don't think. Um, but as one of our fellows argued in a, in a recent piece, you know, there's a long-standing tradition of uh, going back to the Soviet times uh, of total disrespect for human suffering and, and trying to, to obtain uh, political ends uh, regardless of the cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, as I said, you know, it complicates, it complicates Ukraine's uh, counteroffensive, but at the end of the day, I think it's not going to stop it. This right. is not something that is going to derail the, the counteroffensive. And it seems to me from, from the reporting we, we, we hear um, that, that Ukrainians, uh, the, the Ukrainian army is, is just probing Russian defensive lines and, and, and making some initial success. Um, but as, as many military analysts stress, the real test of, of Ukraine's ability to, to achieve su- su- sustainable success in this is going to come in the following weeks. Tell me a bit, because today is a very interesting day, obviously, for, for the Polish president, Duda. He's meeting his French counterpart, Macron, and German Chancellor Olaf Scholz in, in Paris today. Essentially what? Trying to seek, seek this common ground on, on NATO's offer to Ukraine at the Vilnius summit? You are thinking about and looking at this event in a way of possibly writing a response to it. I mean, what 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 are you sort of looking for in this event? What can we expect? <laughs> well, that's that's the tricky part. Yeah. Well, what, what we can say for sure? A is very that simple, easy question. It's what we can say uh, for sure is that you know, due to its 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 pivotal position in supporting Ukraine, Poland remains an important player in, in the discussions about the future of security of Ukraine, but also the, the whole eastern flank of, of NATO. And the fact that the French and the, um, and the Germans want to involve Poland is a good sign. So it's, in a sense, it's continuation of the good work President Duda has been doing when it comes to, to Ukraine for, for the past year and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, there's, there's obviously some difference of opinion about how NATO should proceed in uh, at its summit in, 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 in Vilnius in July about um, what kind of an offer it should make to Ukraine. Um, obviously, some countries in our region would, 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 would welcome sort of taking Ukraine straight into NATO. Right. Uh, we know there is a lot of skepticism about that. Poland has suggested in the past that there should be a, some kind of special uh, security guarantee for Ukraine mm-hmm. that would not be as strong as Article 5, uh, but something close. Right. Defining what it is and how it would differ is problematic. Mm-hmm. So it seems that the, 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 the French and the, the Germans and also the, the Americans are more thinking along the lines of offering some kind of a guarantee of continued um, 
equipment and 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 supplies support um so elevating ukraine to 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 be like a key partner of nato right. with um with uh, with you know sort of deliverable support mm-hmm. in in in, term, in terms of material money and so on and so forth um so so obviously you know the top players in all of this will have to come to some some kind of a agreement uh, it, it would be interesting to know and 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 we're talking to our fellows about this is w- what would be the sort of the minimum that ukraine itself right. would consider to be a successful outcome of right. of these negotiations but the good thing is yeah because here we are is, talking about yeah, this triangle exactly exactly forgetting <laughs> exactly and, and 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 the main thing is that poland remains in the game and of course you know poland's Poland's influence on on all of this could have been greater were it not for for the complicated domestic political situation mm-hmm. and President Duda himself complicated it in in the last few weeks sure. first by by allowing this this really notorious law on probing Russian influence which is de facto uh, an attempt to 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 try to uh, to um um to suppress uh, the opposition by accusing them of of unsavory russian ties mm-hmm. um and and then he also came out with this proposal to enhance his uh, his ability to control Poland's EU presidency right. which is coming in, uh, in 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 several months time and and you know it's unconstitutional it it's it's very strange because it seems like he would like to to sort of be able to uh, impose the agenda for the presidency above the government uh, in poland the president hasn't got under the constitution the president hasn't got such uh, such um, such uh, scope uh, the government controls the presidency and th- this comes in a wider context of perhaps him being a little afraid that the opposition might win the election in, mm-hmm. in october mm-hmm. and therefore take Uh, or, the, or stalemated, or sort of stalemated. Stalemated. No, that would be genuine. If mm-hmm. if that were the if that were the reasons, I, unfortunately, I think it's not the case. Right. I think it's more the question of him uh, being afraid that the next government, if it's an opposition-led government, it will take a much more pro-European stance than the current government with which he's aligned. So he's like trying to uh, take power. <laughs> away from the future government so that's he's right. hedging um, that's that's very strange and and so so there's a lot of confusion about what's happening on the Polish scene in terms of rule of law in terms of Poland's relationship and and standing within the EU mm-hmm. um, And and obviously this is weakening Poland's hand. Yeah, it's almost like two faces or something along those lines. And I think that this, you know, this discussion is interesting also in the sense that we reported in the outlook how the Bucharest nine leaders uh, they met at a, at a summit in Bratislava last week, and within this they essentially had this benchmark because we're, we're all, I think all of us are searching for where is the benchmark for peace talks or for you know. What is going to be that that trigger that basically ends this war or continues it and so forth? And this this was very clear. I mean, they they stated that the territorial integrity of Ukraine 
is the only way to secure Well, but peace. The, the only thing about this is I'm, I'm more and more inclined to think that, that in a sense, because Poland and Hungary are playing such a strange part in all of this, mm-hmm. is that Central Europe, in a sense, is missing its opportunity to, to leave a bigger imprint on, on Western policy. Right. And at the same time, we see Germany and France really moving away from their earlier positions and becoming much more muscular right. in, their, in their approach to defense. You know, we, we've had some very combative statements from both uh, Chancellor Scholz and, and President Macron. Uh, both countries are spending a lot of money on armaments. And this comes just on the, um, on the heels of the, um, of the latest Eurobarometer right. survey, which indicates a vast majority of Europeans are beginning to perceive Russia as a threat and they want a most, more, more robust approach to defense. So the politicians are sort of creating this mood, but also following the public mood. Yeah. So in a sense, you have this paradox that Central Europe was first, was saying certain things for a very long time about Russia being a threat. And now they're sort of wasting this potential. Whereas Western Europe, which seemed to have sort of neglected the issue and poo-pooed the, the right. whole thing about Russia being a threat, now are taking it seriously and actually delivering on concrete measures That's to tackle right. this. Yeah. So this is, this is, a, this is a paradox. Yeah. Well, there's certainly a lot ahead. Is there anything else that you'd like to sort of highlight or mention from, from the weekly outlook? I think the important thing to watch is, is uh, the health of the Polish banking sector mm-hmm. and, and overall the health of the Polish sort of macroeconomic picture because uh, this week the European court will decide on uh, on whether hard currency loans, mortgage loans uh, that were issued by banks during the, just before the big financial crisis, mm-hmm. whether they were legal or not. Right. It's, to put it in a, in a sort of simplified way, right. and, and um, you know, estimates suggest that if the ruling if the likely ruling is that uh, some of these loan agreements will be invalidated, that means Polish banks, the Polish banking sector as a whole, uh, may need 20 billion euros of, of write-offs or, or provisions, wow. Wow. which, you know, is not a huge amount giving its overall balance sheet. Mm-hmm. But uh, it may further limit their ability to, to, to finance projects, including armament purchases. Right. So, you know, with the budget deficit going up to uh, around 5% of GDP this year, uh, some stress in the banking sector and an inflation still in double digits, it, it all points to the Polish government being a little strapped for cash, I would say. Which also sort of circles back to this issue of, you know, is Poland really able to play the part it, it announced it would play in sort of rearming itself and, and building uh, Europe's second strongest army as, right. as, as the government declared. As they essentially have so, to take a, a loan from South Korea. And now they are taking a loan from South Korea and it seems they're, they're desperate for money. So again, with, with Poland, there is, there is this 
sometimes this divergence between what we hear mm -hmm. from officials in terms of their declared aims and policies mm -hmm. and actual delivery. Great. Thank you so much, Adam. Now we'll move on to the question and answer where we had uh, Wojciech Krzybilski, our editor-in-chief, discuss the counter-offensive with our two marching crow fellows, Sigitas Berga and Matej Andri. Segita, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome to the Visegrad Insight podcast. Um, and I'll go straight to, to the question uh, number one, the, the question that everyone in Central Eastern Europe is now asking themselves, how is the Ukrainian counteroffensive going? We have a confirmation now that it officially has started, that the, the highest officials, including President Zelensky, um, confirmed that. What's your assessment, how this has been prepared so far and how should we read the beginning of it? Exactly before this conversation uh, in news, what we heard was that there is certain success. Uh, on another hand, I would be very careful because uh, from my perspective, what, what we as West are doing wrong, we are making too much pressure on Ukrainians. So all our eyes, all attention, all the speeches we do are about um, expectations from this counteroffensive. Clearly, the, 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 it is very important. There is no doubt on that, but uh, this kind of our pressure uh, during this psychologically very um, hard time, I think it can... Uh, it can't really help Ukrainians, right? So I would, uh, I would be very careful. And that's why I think we also see, um, this, uh, this way how Ukraine has started to communicate about, uh, counteroffensive. We see, uh, that, uh, Ukraine is very careful. Uh, Ukra Ukrainians are choosing the way how to communicate it, uh, in a manner that they don't, uh, kind of show up with the first results they have. That's why there is guessing in which point there is success and which not, etc. But on another hand, I'm not really military strategist, so I can't really say whether uh, there is, there is um, kind of certain success on one or in another flank, right? Uh, so. But what I really appreciate is the way how um, this communication uh, about offensive is proceeding from Ukrainian side. We see this special uh, campaign with uh, uh, soldiers showing be quiet. We see uh, Zelensky was uh, was very uh, specially prepared in these uh, speeches, which are all this stuff is going for certain aim. What will be the aim? Let's see, let's wait, and let's wish uh, good luck, and let's continue to support with all possible means which Ukraine, Ukrainians need at the moment. Thank you, Zagita. I, I think you're right to uh, give them some time and some room to, to demonstrate the results. They're clearly ambitious and they're clearly determined um, and quite well prepared now to recapture some of their land. And uh, very much uh, it's not just about uh, geographical, uh, territorial uh, changes and uh, 
capturing the territories previously occupied by Russians. But it's also, as you well pointed out, strategic communication, not only in the context of this particular campaign, but also one month ahead of the NATO summit, in which there is also buildup of expectations uh, regarding Ukraine. So I wonder what's your take, and I assume that you know you are not expecting the Ukraine will be admitted at this NATO summit. There is no one, I think, saying saying that that Ukraine would be accepted or invited immediately to NATO, but there are voices pressuring for that. So my question to you will be: short of immediate NATO membership uh, of Ukraine, what would be? The biggest impact of, of uh, what would make the biggest impact for for Ukraine's chances on Putin's resolve to continue? You know what what would be the lesson also uh, from 2008 when the NATO summit was short short of ex- I mean the expectations were not met and Putin saw it as an opportunity. It there is no immediate parallel to different universes. You would even say now. But dangers of mishandling the NATO summit are definitely huge. So what's your advice? I, I don't think I'm in position to give any advice, but uh, still, uh, let's uh, put like this. Indeed, uh, 2008 uh, showed um, a lot of lessons to be learned. And uh, the, exactly this is the reason why uh, at the moment we see how careful uh, Western partners are. Although we really see uh, voices calling for, for, for making Ukraine uh, part of um, NATO. On another hand, what we really see is that the Ukraine itself has become very careful on this topic. And again, we see from communication that the uh, uh, elite, uh, uh, like political elite of Ukraine do realize that uh, nothing like uh, invitation will happen. Uh, but as you absolutely correctly pointed out, uh, there should be certain decisions which clearly demonstrate uh, uh, Western will uh, to make uh, this partnership stronger and to make Ukraine on a, on its to to put it on its path to NATO uh, the question is uh, how it, this uh, kind of very hard uh, task will be solved so we have heard some speculations about special establishing special council between Ukraine and NATO in order to promote uh, Ukrainian entrance to NATO. We have heard uh, some security guarantees, which uh, I can't really re- uh, imagine how the one could provide some security guarantees for Ukraine at the moment. It's kind of wishful thinking, I think. Uh, that's why uh, the, uh, there are some other speculations um, like trying to explain w- what kind of dynamics are and what we can really expect. Uh, but, um, but I think it's going to be um, still certain solution which will demonstrate, uh, let's say, West strong will uh, to uh, 
to help Ukraine to stop Russia. And this is critically important because as you correctly pointed out, in a case of such signal will not be sent Putin, it, and I wouldn't say Putin, Russian political elite, not Putin only himself. This is one of the our mistakes to say Putin do this or Putin does not do that. It's not only him. So I would say that it is critically important to send signal to Russian political and military elite that NATO will stand or to be more correct, NATO member states will stand with Ukraine and uh, will make Ukraine to win this war. And then we, of course, then after that, we can really talk about uh, uh, Ukraine's membership in NATO. So you do believe that uh, at some point Ukraine should be a member of NATO? I do believe that Ukraine at certain points should be member of NATO. Question is when and how. And in this, I, I'm afraid that I'm not as optimistic as uh, uh, part of my colleagues are. I really see that it's not only about war, like in long term. It is also about the reforms, about the many other uh, tasks to be done in both sides, actually, not only in Ukraine, in order to provide the membership for Ukraine. Okay, we'll leave it at there. Um, and uh, we will now follow up with Matej Kandrik, uh, also a Marching Crew Fellow at Visegrad Insight. Thank you, Sigita, so much. And both of you are working on an argument that will be soon appearing in Visegrad Insight, exactly relating to the position on, on, on NATO summit and, and Ukraine. Thank you for being with us uh, today. Mate, thanks for joining. We know already that you're working with Sigita on uh, an argument related to Ukraine membership in NATO, future potential membership. Uh, could you give a glimpse of, of what you're thinking about? What are the security guarantees that Ukraine can receive and whether there is a path for Ukraine in NATO? What do you think? Sure. Well, first of all, uh, we have to admit this is really, really highly complex uh, situation and scenario we are facing. And that should lead us to being reasonable and managing our expectations and uh, ideas where are we going. Uh, most of all, I would really avoid uh, rising uh, expectations too high because that would lead only to, to, to bad, uh, bad, bad situations for us in here. Uh, regarding NATO membership, uh, I honestly truly believe uh, that it's a question of when, not if. But the when is, of course, very uh, hard to say because first we have to see the end uh, of the war. And not just end of the war, but uh, it will also uh, matter a lot how uh, the, uh, the war will end. Um, that takes me back to the idea which are floating about some kind of... Because the, the biggest obstacle right now we're facing is uh, what about Ukraine sovereignty, the territorial sovereignty, uh, if we are even willing to think about the scenarios when we should uh, see the future of Ukraine without uh, it regaining its full control over its territory, liberating all the uh, parts of Ukraine, including Crimea, right? 
And I think this is not even that much for us to discuss, but for internal de- debate in Ukraine, if they would be willing to, to make such a sacrifice, uh, meaning uh, changing exchanging some parts of territory for membership in uh, NATO. And that's a huge bit uh, to make and huge um, political capital will be needed to be invested from the Zelensky or any future administration uh, sitting in Kiev to make such a decision. But I think, honestly speaking, such options should be on the table uh, because otherwise um, the options are rather limited. Uh, my second thought on any security guarantees for Ukraine is, of course, we need to have United States in, in the table because without them, uh, all the talks are quite cheap and empty uh, to be competitive because Europe alone wouldn't be really able uh, to, to, to stand behind Ukraine. And I think the deterrence effect simply won't be there without the U.S. Uh, participation. Therefore, my suggestion for now and the next steps for the Vilnius Summit would be to, to think on the level of uh, NATO-Ukraine uh, Commission, uh, maybe to have a head of the state's uh, level of meeting and agree there on some kind of plan, but a reasonable one, uh, how to proceed, uh, how to proceed and how to be open about the fact that no membership can really materialize before the end of the war. Yeah, before the end of the war. And how about the results of the current counteroffensive? We're one month ahead of the NATO summit in Vilnius and the situation is very dynamic. We have had uh, the beginning of the offensive officially um, announced by the administration, including President Zelensky in Ukraine. And uh, we are hearing uh, news of the first captured villages. Don't you think that the pressure from the side of Ukraine on delivering more than it is expected may uh, may actually dominate uh, the upcoming month uh, how would you play uh, this card how would you how would you see this challenge uh, for ukraine and for nato overall uh, sure like i mean um if this uh, offense counter offensive will, will be success, uh, successful and i completely uh, wish uh, for it to be successful that gives ukraine an ace card uh, to play at the nato summit but for now it's too soon to judge We've seen uh, some rising level of activities in three different uh, locations around Bakhmut, uh, Western uh, Donetsk and Zaporizhia. Um, Zaporizhia is generally being judged as the most important vector of attack because it can lead to the strategic benefit of cutting through the, the land bridge to Crimea and isolating Kherson and Crimea. Uh, but we have to be, again, like being honest with ourselves, Uh, especially Zaporizhia is heavily uh, defended. Uh, Russia managed to build uh, thick lines of defense, combining minefields with trenches, with uh, station ar- uh, artillery and uh, other uh, field defense. So it will be extremely hard to break through those de- uh, defenses uh, for Ukraine, and it will cost a lot in terms of lives and the material. So for now, I would say, finger crossed, um, it's important for Ukraine to make that breakthrough politically, both and militarily, but it's not going to be an easy win uh, for sure. Sure. And if Ukraine achieved an enormous success, uh, uh, which we all hope for uh, in, in the coming months, who knows, uh, then I guess there will be a totally new reality 
to adapt to, and, and Russia might not be such a challenge as we thought before. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Mati Kandrik. Uh, thank you for joining us for this podcast episode, and we're looking forward to your joint argument together with Sigida Struberga. 